I'm Chris, and I'm here because I used to like WCW, but I always wish those guys were older. <laughs> and I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to help with that extremely specific request with the aid of a show that I have decidedly mixed feelings about. This is the AEW Wrestling Fan, an AEW review podcast for people who are curious about what happens when you expose someone to current wrestling who hasn't so much as brushed past wrestling Twitter in over six months. And also, people like me who haven't brushed past wrestling Twitter in over six months. This week, we sing along to Fozzie with the episode of AEW Dynamite that originally aired on November 16th, 2022. So current. This episode gives Chris the go-home show experience that probably leaves a lot of explaining to do. Like who Daddy Ass is and why you'd want to scissor him. I know the first part, and I mean, I guess I have an opinion about the second, but I, I am curious about the canonical answer. Welcome to episode one of the AEW Wrestling Fan, a podcast of weird commentary booths and weirder booking. Yes, Miles left me alone to be a latchkey podcaster for too long, and this is the result. I'm building pillow forts, and I'm breaking into the liquor cabinet. I've dragged Chris over, turned up the volume, and pointed him at the TV to find out what the heck happens when you talk about AEW with someone who isn't already three layers deep in wrestling discourse. Can you hear the capitals? This episode is the lead up to Full Gear, one of AEW's pay-per-view events. This is it. Tony Khan's last chance to make the case that you should spend $50 on Bleacher Report. Uh, yes, Rampage is on Friday. And yes, we're definitely going to cover that. But who and what Rampage exists to do is a question that we have yet to find a satisfactory answer to. But it's probably not anything so clear cut as getting butts on couches for pay-per-view events. Chris, you used to have a Twitter presence. And mm -hmm. as such, almost certainly had some wrestling Twitter in your life. Yes. I do not. You did not watch any AEW prior to this. No, I have not watched any AEW prior to this. So what did you know about AEW at the time that you made your objectively correct decision to leave the bird site behind? I knew people who were in it, right? Because there would always be a big buzz when people uh, jumped to AEW or when they picked up somebody I was really excited about. Like I knew kind of where it came from with like Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks and, um, you know, like the just the elite. And I knew, yeah, kind of like how it was positioned to compete, all that, the, the kind of stuff people talk about on Twitter. But like mm -hmm. in terms of what the product is, like what what are you going to see when you watch it? Basically, all I knew was uh, people would like there to be more women's wrestling. And <laughs> I don't know, from time to time, I'd hear buzz about a particular match or something. But yeah, very little. <gasps> that's extremely exciting like you might as well be a complete aew version this is beautiful mm -hmm. all right well now i get to hear all about this i guess whatever your seven minutes in heaven is with this motherfucker <laughs> uh in bob doesn't have to write the breakdown with special guest star chris newton chris <laughs> take it away <laughs> Our commentary team tonight is the very crowded four-man booth of Excalibur, <laughs> Tony Schiavone, Taz, 
and Ian Riccoboni, who's new to me, a Ring of Honor guy, I understand. Yes. I would describe their collective commentary style as four friends in a high school history class who should have known better than to attempt a group project together. These four having a great time. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes tangentially related to the topic of wrestling. There are some bits (laughs) that kind of just run off with all of them, uh, which is fine. It's delightful to listen to, <laughs> but it's sort of, it's in competition with the wrestling, I would say. I feel like I'm flipping channels when I'm listening to the commentary on this show. Like when the, when the wrestling is boring, I'm like, let's check in with Taz. Let's see how Taz is doing. And he's always telling me. Oh, fuck. That's the one of the best parts. Yeah. Absolutely one of the best parts is that I'm like, oh, there's also a podcast happening that has <laughs> very little to do with this motherfucker. I know. I fucking love the commentary. It is, it is such a treat. Not helpful. God knows. Although I will say, of everybody on this group project, Excalibur is definitely the one who tries to make it work. <laughs> yes. Listen, he's going to get an A in this class. Yes. I don't know how this project is going to go, but I think that the teacher is going to understand. He's going to look out and see this bright-eyed young man with the mask really gave it his best. It's not not his fault that his friends are, you know, these guys. (laughs) Uh, They do manage to inform us that this is the last Dynamite before full gear, uh, as you were mentioning, Bob. And we jump right into match number one, which is Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho versus Claudio Castagnoli and Brian Danielson. Uh, And these four are going to be in a match for the Ring of Honor world title at Full Gear. So this is a tag match, but then it's going to be every man for himself at Full Gear. The Jericho Appreciation Society. (laughs) The entrance begins with this little spiel about how, like, they're the leading edge of sports entertainment or whatever, which I knew I recognized, but I didn't know from where. Do you know where it's from? Uh, No, I sure don't. I looked it up and I found out that the the little spiel at the beginning of the Jericho Appreciation Society entrance is a parody of the old like new generation wwf where it says like for however many years the leaders in sports entertainment yeah i learned a thing on my own which i realize is counter to the point of the show i know and explained it to me as well yeah (laughs) sure i know i men love coming on podcasts to explain things to me we just can't help it it. is i know it's a fucking addiction all right go on the jericho appreciation society logo Uh, announces the entrance of the Spanish god, Sammy Guevara, and the Ocho, Chris Jericho, uh, who now holds the Ring of Honor World Championship. Do you have any insight for me uh, as, like, why this is happening? Because I I think it is just, like, my guess is that Jericho is, like, padding his championship resume because he has held every goddamn thing. I think it's that, but it's also, I think, Tony Khan bought Ring of Honor and is kind of trying, well allegedly trying to get Ring of Honor a television show again. Mm. And so what Chris Jericho's been up to is going, I am smashing the Ring of Honor legacy. Fuck Ring of Honor. I'm the greatest thing. And so I'll fight any former Ring of Honor champion from any, like any belt, whatever. They come in and like it gives them a chance to use some of their Ring of Honor roster people that they, I guess, are employing, question mark. Hmm. And then hopefully generate something, you know, some kind of goodwill enough to get a a TV show. I probably through Ted Turner, who knows? But yeah, he's basically doing a look, Ring of Honor has good wrestlers, doesn't it? 
they're all going to wrestle me, Chris Jericho, who is a recognizable person. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, these, uh, Chris Jericho, as the Ocho, I have no concept of the gimmick, uh, but I know he changes them all the time. So I, I was prepared. I had my eye out for who is this new Chris Jericho. Uh, he comes out a little bit trimmer than the last time I saw him, carrying a bat, yeah. um, appropriately wearing an onk, uh, a symbol representing things that were cool for a minute in the 90s. <laughs> I'm not very familiar with Sammy Guevara, but speaking of the 90s, if you want a first impression, he looks like he could have been cast in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as an obnoxious teenager who gets eaten by a vampire and deserves it. Ding, ding, ding. He doesn't look like he's 14, but he looks like he could play 14. Really one of those hateable hateable. faces. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad because I was really, I have a lot of, there's a lot of secret traps in this of like. How will Chris feel about this particular person who I have very strong feelings <laughs> about? But you, you've you neatly evaded the first one. Well done. We flash back to last week when Guevara battled Brian Danielson in a two out of three falls match, during which Guevara, to quote Taz, wore out the skull and brain of Danielson. Um, <laughs> but uh, if, I love you, Taz. If, if you are excited, as I was, that we were going to get to spend 20 minutes watching someone attempt to work the brain in a wrestling match, no, sadly not. When Taz says skull and brain, he means left eye, uh, as explained by <laughs> gifted Taz Whisper Excalibur. <laughs> as we all know, eyeballs, normally nigh invincible, but Brian Danielson injured his. He's going into this match with a bum peeper. So might we see <laughs> the Jericho Appreciation Society target it tonight? Only time and or Casual familiarity with wrestling will tell. <laughs> Claudio Castagnoli comes out onto the ramp to a reworking of the 1812 Overture. Yeah. The, the name of that track is a terrible pun, which I will not share on the podcast. Then Brian Danielson joins him to his Ride of the Valkyries-based theme song. And then William Regal shakes both of their hands and accompanies them to the ring. The match begins. All four men brawl in the ring to start. Then Claudio and Jericho brawl to the outside, which leaves Danielson and Guevara in the ring as the legal men. Uh, at which point Sammy Guevara begins his match-long project of discovery, finding out how many times you can bite your opponent's eye in this company, AEW, without getting disqualified. Um, I was I was shocked. <laughs> I don't think we get a solid answer to this question. The answer will surprise you. <laughs> By standard wrestling rules, I- I'm pretty sure the answer is zero. Uh, you-, you are allowed zero eye bites during a wrestling match. Um, <laughs> but just, you know, don't, don't, don't look at this too closely. Uh, because Sammy Guevara is here, and he loves to bite eyeballs. Don't look at him too closely ever. <laughs> Never relax. Despite the eye attack, Danielson hits Guevara with a kitchen sink. Uh, Jericho enters the ring to help. Uh, but, of course, Claudio catches him. And Danielson and Claudio affirm their love for one another with the classic love language of the tag team wrestler beating up two different guys the same way. Once they finished uh, this ancient rite, uh, Danielson and Guevara get into an extended counter-wrestling exchange that ends with Danielson locking in the Romero special. Danielson then tags in Claudio, who keeps control at first, uh, gets the worst of an exchange where Guevara leapfrogs him, then flipping leapfrogs him, then drop kicks him, then does a kip up, and then sticks his tongue out at the booing crowd. Uh, and <laughs> uh, yeah. in, in my mind, as, as though hearing the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi, I could hear your voice, Megan Bob, in the second Nitro episode we did, referring to Chris Jericho as a, quote, twink brat. And Mm -hmm. as a fan of this sport, it's just, it's very beautiful to see that legacy live on. (laughs) Anyway, Claudio, not to be out show-offed, grabs Guevara in a vertical suplex so delayed that he has time to drop to one knee, stand up, take a knee again, then stand up again before completing the maneuver. And there's nothing Jericho can do. Uh, He just has to stand there, wait for the animation to complete. Claudio tags in Danielson, who barely starts chopping before Guevara gouges his eye. 
to take the match back over. Then he tags out to Jericho, who throws some chops, flips off the crowd, then flips off Danielson, who deep in the recesses of his wrestle brain thinks, middle finger, I can counter that. He grabs Jericho's <laughs> finger, applies joint manipulation to take him to the mat, uh, and then hits him with a move. I think it's called an arm spike. It's the one where you turn their arm over on the mat so their hand or wrist is on the mat and their elbow's up, and then you like put pressure down on the oh, elbow. I hate that. Danielson tags in Claudio, who hits Jericho with some uppercuts, then puts him in a submission hold where he can force Sammy to watch as, as he stretches Jericho. Uh, he also flips off Sammy, but the camera misses it in favor of a shot of Brian Danielson doing nothing in particular. He looks very good in that beard. I, <laughs> I appreciate it. At this point, the commentators are talking about Jeff Jones. I don't know who that is. Do you? Nope. Okay. No idea. Couldn't tell you. Yep. Uh, no idea. I just... Oh, wait. Okay. Uh, do you have a little bit more context for me? Mm. Any would help. Oh, God. I don't remember what they were saying. It, it was a whole was thing. Was it Taz who said it? It was all of them. They were Nobody was talking about this match. It was all Jeff Jones for a minute. Okay. Well, possibly it could have been the fact. Now, this does not account for why it would be Jeff, but Taz has a habit. You're making such a face at me. Like, how can this sentence possibly end? Taz has a habit of adding Jones to the end of something in commentary. Um, like, suplex Jones uh, to describe a thing that is happening. Okay. Um, one of the favorites is if somebody gets like a crotch shot of any kind, he'll say Yambag Jones. That's <laughs> just very enjoyable. That had better be like a, like a hidden character in the AEW video game. I really want to see the hidden roster spot for Yambag Jones. <laughs> it Yambag Jones is very important to me. <laughs> Later on, I don't want you to go down this rabbit hole now, but later on, you need to check out AO3. And if there's nothing there for Yambag Jones, I need I need you to be the first. Oh, well, we'll see. It begins when, you know, Taz is hanging out and having his coffee or whatever backstage before the show. And then this guy walks up to him and like grabs him by the lapels and pushes him up against the wall. And is like, I heard you've been talking shit about me. And Taz is like, oh, <gasps> fuck, Yambag Jones. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, whoever Jeff Jones may be, Brian Danielson tags himself in. Uh, only for Jericho to tag in, team up with Guevara to take Danielson down with a double shoulder tackle, and then hit a tag team pose. I can't describe their position. I can describe the vibe, which is publicity photo of a hair metal band touring tiny casinos with only one original member. Beautiful. I was going to say glamour shots, if you remember glamour shots. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's just like, yeah, Guevara, like the, like the young hot one, like kind of reclining, and then Jericho, like the old one who's like, still hot in his heart with his like chin on his shoulder, making a kissy face on top of him. It's yeah, it's very good. Sammy works over Danielson in the corner until a fiery comeback. Danielson ends up doing his running knees into the corner, but Sammy dodges the third one and hits a drop toe hold. One of my favorite moves that sends Danielson's face into the turnbuckle. And then while Danielson's rolling around recovering on the apron, Jericho sneaks up on the outside and nails him in the face with the bat. Tony Schiavone indignantly opines on commentary that the referee should get that bat away from ringside, pursuant to his commentary gimmick, which is guy who's just about to realize that wrestling is fake. <laughs> He's, he gets so mad. He's like, why would she let him keep that bat? I know. Do you, did you catch the bat's name by no, any I chance? No, I didn't. It's Floyd. Floyd. Got it. Uh, Guevara continues to work over Danielson, including biting his eye yet again. 
But then Guevara gouges his eye uh, for variety, you see. He tags in Jericho, presumably because the part of him that is still human dimly realizes, if I stay in this ring, I am going to eat a man's eyeball tonight. I I have to get out of here. (laughs) Jericho works Danielson over on the ropes for a while. uh, But then when he goes for a boss man attack, which may or may not be the name of the move, but it's what I learned from video games, Danielson dodges, and then it's a race to the tag. Uh, Jericho gets to Guevara first. Sammy runs over and knocks Claudio down preemptively, then goes back to beating down Danielson. And then after another exchange, everybody's back down again. Once again, it's a race for the hot tag. And this time, at last, it's the hot tag to Claudio, who just, it's a virtuoso performance of European uppercuts. Mm -hmm. Again and again and again. And then every time the referee backs him off, he puts his hands up in the air like, hey, listen, you know me. Would I ever, ever uppercut him again after that talking to that you just gave me? No, of course not. And then dashes back in with more uppercuts. Jericho, not wanting to be outshone by his protege, uh, pokes Claudio in the eye uh, and then sets up the walls (laughs) of Jericho. Uh, But Claudio, listen, this was Jericho's mistake. Claudio has not had an eye injury. His eye is 100% right now. He could strike a match on it. He does not give a fuck. (laughs) He sets up his own walls of Jericho position on Jericho, but Guevara interferes, so Jericho gets the walls of Jericho after all. Uh, Meanwhile, Guevara dives on Danielson outside the ring. Claudio crawls toward the ropes. Guevara pulls them away, classic heel move. But then Danielson wipes out Guevara on the outside, goes up top, hits a missile drop kick on Jericho to break the hold. Now it's Danielson and Guevara, both tagged in. Guevara wants to pound Danielson's head with his forearms. Oh, I'm sorry, I have this name wrong. Brian Danielson wants to pound his own head with forearms. So he invites (laughs) Sammy to forearm him repeatedly, and he even starts ramming his head into Sammy's forearms as though to say, not only is my head tougher than your arms, but it has needs your arms could never fulfill. (laughs) Danielson knocks down Guevara, hits some yes kicks, but Guevara avoids the last one and hits Danielson in the eye to take control. Uh, hits him with a leaping knee, tries to set up what they call the GTH. Is that the go to hell? Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he gets countered into a label lock, uh, but he escapes that. Danielson puts Guevara on the turnbuckle, follows him up, but in a turn of events he could not have seen coming when he put his face right next to the face of Sammy Guevara, Guevara bites his fucking eye, then hits him with a cutter <laughs> off the top rope. <laughs> Guevara tags in Jericho, who hits a lion salt. Danielson tags Claudio, then dives through the corner rope to nail Guevara who's trying to pass Jericho his bat. Jericho gets the bat anyway, but it does nothing to help him. He can only hold it as Claudio gives him a giant swing. Then Claudio snatches the bat away and holds it over his shoulder as he applies the Scorpion Deathlock for the submission win. Uh, And after the match, Claudio trash talks the prone Jericho and lays the bat on him. I remember you saying from Next Wrestling Fan, the like the Dom energy of Claudio in a wrestling match, and you really see that come into play here at the end. This was, boy... He does. He he wrestles. I don't know how he does it, but he's like for such an affable guy. He wrestles like a sexy supervillain. I don't know. It's it, my human heart very nearly felt just like Claudio Castagnoli applying a submission hold with a bat over his shoulder. Oh, God. It's the biggest dick energy. <laughs> I'm like, this dick is too big. This dick. This is not even the Great American Challenge. This is like just... His dick is as big as he is. Like, that's Jesus Christ. He's amazing. Yeah, it was it was a very impressive showing from from Claudio, especially given that like all the story in this match was kind of on uh, on Danielson. Next up, we get a video package for the upcoming John Moxley versus MJF match at Full Gear. I know nothing about the history here, but fortunately, I had this package uh, to fill me in. It does a great job telling the story, which, as best as I could understand it, is the following: John Moxley is the AEW champion. He makes a lot of self-destructive decisions in his life. He's a really good wrestler. 
MJF has a sparkly ring of some kind, also a giant poker chip. Mm. Uh, yep. And Morrissey, I think is what he's called, formerly known as Big Cass. Yes. At some point in the recent past, he looked real angry on his giant face for, for a second, for some reason. Don't know why. <laughs> is that basically the outline of the story? Um, mm, Sort of? Okay, that's, that's fine. That's good enough. Next up, a black and white package. In I which... feel somebody's going to get mad at me if I don't explain the giant poker chip. Okay, well, I'll be, I'll be counting on you at the end of this to fill me in on exactly what the deal is with this giant chip. But for the time being, I'm going to operate under the assumption that MJF is like a, some kind of like gambling themed Batman villain, and he just likes to whack people with giant like gambling accessories. <laughs> we now go to a black and white video package in which Sting drives to the desert to pick up a body bag and put it in his back seat. Darby Allen unzips himself out of the body bag and joins Sting in the front seat, where Sting says, at full gear, it's showtime. Now, I know what you're thinking, listener, notwithstanding some confusion about why Darby Allen laid in the desert for God knows how long in a body bag that he was perfectly capable of unzipping. Regardless, it's showtime, the sickest of burns. Who could top that? Who, what could any Sting detractor possibly say to top it's showtime? Well, just wait. Because backstage, there are three guys in suits, one of whom is very tall. They start to cut a promo. I could ask you, Megan Bob, who these people are, but I don't care. It hardly matters. Because they're immediately cut off by Jeff Jarrett, about whom people are always saying, that guy is important, and I care what that guy has to say. <laughs> He'll take care of this promo. All right, everybody step back. And then he cuts the promo <laughs> of a lifetime. Sting, 24 years ago, when we fought for the first time, you want to say your catchphrase, that it's showtime? Well, at full gear, it'll be your last time. That's Burn. it. Burn. Yeah. Pumped for this match. I had no idea who Darby Allen was going into this, but after seeing these couple of packages, I feel like he's too good for this. <laughs> well, look, he's, he's Sting's son now. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's, they've got a weird situation. Okay, please explain. Was Is this an adoption or is this like there was a surprise paternity test or what happened? Uh, Sting kind of like surprise adopted him. <laughs> like, just was like, ah, I see you, fellow person who wears this kind of face paint. You, you will be my protege and we shall hang out together. They did a cinematic match together that was very fun. Hmm. Listen, I, I know this is going to be unpopular. But I have never one time been impressed with Sting. Never, ever. Sting is just like, I don't know, the, even back in like the, the colorful, like the 80s days, like classic Sting, yeah. nothing interesting, nothing impressive going on with him. Uh, you know, just like a generic version of other guys doing basically the same thing. Then they turn him into Crow Sting, which is a great look, but like not really who he is, as you can see by the fact that that like the look has stayed, but the gimmick is nowhere like it's it, it has completely gone away it's just it's just face paint it's just like face paint in a coat the the scorpion <laughs> thing has nothing to do with who he is or his persona he, i don't know what he's supposed to be teaching a protege because his moves like i mean dated is one thing but like this motherfucker is out here doing a stinger splash in 2022 what the fuck and if it's like oh but he can like show you the ropes you know he can like help you to be canny like all the old tricks no one has been betrayed more often and more successfully than sting in wrestling history, he's continually getting fooled by the most ridiculous plans. It, it, it defines every era of his career. Sting is stupid and he has no good moves. Those are the two main qualities of Sting. 
that have persisted through the years. So I have no time for Sting, although Scorpion Deathlock, arguably a cooler name than Sharpshooter. Uh, this is very interesting to me because I was under the apparently misapprehension that he was too old now to do his cool moves, but it turns out he's never had any. So it oh. truly does not matter because he's done some matches, not just cinematic matches, but like tag team matches with Darby Allen and some other stuff. And uh, it's always a worry because he's an old man, mm-hmm. but... Not as bad as the time Tully Blanchard got back in the <laughs> ring. That was legit terrifying. I thought he would die. Yeah, I just, yeah. Never never been impressed by Sting. We now go to match two. Anthony Bowens versus Swerve Strickland. But if you're not ready for more wrestling yet, don't worry. It's a false alarm. The acclaimed enter with Billy Gunn, who is doing the scissor daddy gimmick, which I don't understand. I do enjoy it. Can you give me a little, a little summary of what's happening with this scissor me daddy thing? Okay, so... The acclaimed were around, and then also Billy Gunn's two kids were hired, and um, they were wrestling, and Danhausen made ass boys a thing on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of ass boy chants, and Billy Gunn would come out with his sons, but he was always, like, super big on the ass boys thing, and he, like, had a shirt that said ass boys, and he was like, why are you, my children, not super into this? You <laughs> obviously don't get it. And then... There was some, like, back and forth, some betrayals and stuff. And, oh, the acclaimed was in the family for a while, and they were, like, hanging out, and Billy Gunn would, like, yell at his own kids and then put a blanket over the acclaimed as they fell asleep on a (laughs) fucking hotel bed. And then his own sons turned on him, and then he became, like, the kind of quasi-father of the acclaimed. And then at a on National Scissoring Day, I believe Anthony Bones presented him with adoption paperwork <laughs> and said, we are now your actual sons. But, okay, so the scissoring part of this whole thing, this entire time, mm-hmm. whenever the acclaimed first started showing up, they were doing this thing that no one fucking got, and I still kind of don't get it, that Max Caster and Anthony Bones would just be like, ah! like tongue out scissoring their fingers together as part of their shtick Mm -hmm. um could not i don't know why but obviously like billy gunn was like "Ah, you know as i'm supportive i care about you as a parent would care about their child therefore i want to be there for you in this and so he was doing all the the scissor fingers with everybody and then now, uh, at the end of every entrance, Anthony Bowens now screams, scissor me, daddy ass. And the crowd sometimes does kind of a sing-along chant of that. Oh, okay. All right. This is all completely organic. This this thing just like, <laughs> this is not a thing that corporate announced. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there's an idea whose time has come, yeah. right? I mean, if it, well, w- if it wasn't daddy ass, it was going to be a- another daddy. Some daddy was going to scissor these boys. 100%. The Acclaimed has the best-selling merchandise. The amount of scissors in the audience is truly staggering. (laughs) National Scissoring Day was a fucking thing. And then also listening to an all-male commentary booth attempt to kind of, like, say this, but really, like, not say anything that sounds even remotely sexual. Mm -hmm. Hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I, I love it. The acclaimed, uh, after they've done their entrance, they've they've done the scissor me daddy bit uh, with the big foam fingers. The acclaimed then introduced their new music video, uh, which features actors portraying Swerve and Keith Lee engaging in 
bumbling antics trying to catch the acclaimed, and it ends with the acclaimed running on the beach with Billy Gunn. For reasons I cannot explain, I did take blow-by-blow notes about the music video, but I'm not going to read them. But I, in front of me, I have a long document describing all of the various hijinks that the actors get up to, <laughs> attempting to catch the acclaimed. <laughs> I, you are such a Bob's Breakdown newbie. This is very sweet. This is, wow, heroic. Yeah. After the video, uh, Swerve enters. It is quickly speared by Billy Gunn, uh, who gets sent to the back along with... What's his name? The non-Bowens member of the acclaimed? Uh, Max Caster. Max Caster. Uh, they both go to the back. So it truly is just going to be Bowens versus Swerve for this match. As Billy Gunn is leaving, I just have to say, it was actually only watching this that I realized, like, Billy Gunn always had something. I mean, everybody says, like, you know, he's this big guy, he's athletic, you know, whatever. But, like, for some reason, he was very successful for a period of time. They could never quite figure out a way to use him effectively at any higher level than that. He just had some kind of X factor that I at least never had a grasp on. And it's only seeing him do this, especially as an older man, that I get it. Billy Gunn is really good at looking like he's having fun wrestling. Yeah. That means so much. You don't have to do anything. If you go out there looking like you're having a great time and you've got like natural charisma, I feel like that that's all that people need. And I, I, I feel like now in retrospect... Maybe that's pretty much all the people got from the New Age Outlaws, but it worked. Sold a lot of merch. Uh, in any case, Swerve is distracted at ringside uh, by these ejections, and Bowens decks him. However, Swerve throws Bones into the steps, steps on his hand, then stomps it. Per my notes, quote, Then it's into the ring as Tony Schiavone wishes best to Jay Leno. Uh, after that, Swerve takes over for a minute. Then it's back and forth. Half Nelson, standing switch, O'Connor roll, head scissors, blah, blah, blah. This is the point you can tell where I kind of gave up on this part. Like this, it, you need more punctuation if you're going to do this. Otherwise, you begin to feel like you're listening to the hold music. Swerve finally does kind of end the sequence, though, in a big way with a moonsault over the top rope onto Bowens on the outside. Then beats him down out there. Bowens' lip is bleeding at this point. Then they go back into the ring for more kicks, more punches, more working the arm. Uh, Bowens misses a punch wildly, and Swerve grabs a body scissors. It's rest hold time. And fortunately, we can turn to commentary for sulking. Like, actual, like, this is, you're going to hear Taz going, I just, I was just saying that. He's, <laughs> he's actually doing a bit where he's, like, muttering and sulking. It comes at the worst time, because in the ring, nothing is happening. This is, like, this is, this is one man intertwined with another man. No, there's no peril involved in this. They're just lying there. And then on commentary, it is inaudible muttering. <laughs> I imagine when I watch this, like someone changing the channel to this when it was live and wondering like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it was worse before they got Taz. <laughs> uh, Swerve then goes up top, but Bowens pulls him down and then hits him with such a variety of punches, forearms, elbows, including, let's charitably call them running elbows to swerve in the corner. There's, look, where's the fire? Like, this is not an emergency. He's in the corner. He looks like he's pretty well out of it. I'll just, like, take a leisurely jog over and just kind of <laughs> elbow him. And then, you know what? Time for another pass. Jog back over here. And then a little trot back to swerve. Another elbow. <laughs> then a Samoan drop. Uh, which mercifully ends Bowen's little offensive run here. He technically did an offense. It's fine. Swerve can wrestle again. They jockey for control with strikes, more arm stuff, until finally Swerve uh, hits a brain buster, then does... Can you tell me the name of this move? It's like a run-by stomp thing. He jumps and he kicks down at him. It's like a curb stomp, but he's not like driving oh, his head into I the mat. Did. It's 
bless you. Bless you for thinking that your faith in me is so (laughs) affirming. I am high on it. I feel vindicated, even though I can give you nothing for your faith. Absolutely nothing. What's this move called? Fuck if I know. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, were you expecting more miles out of this? No, no, no. I I can only tell you about the stories. Let's call it a curb stomp for convenience sake. I have a name for it. He hits the curb stomp. He covers for two. That doesn't work. So he stomps on Bowen some more. Hits another one of those things that are not quite a curb stomp. Uh, This one off the top rope. Covers, only gets a two. And then does the thing where he like rolls away and holds his head. He is, like all wrestlers, he is shocked, shocked to find that false finishes are going on in here. Swerve tries again for the same move, but Bowen catches his leg, but Swerve twists in place to tweak that damaged arm. He then lifts Bowen's up into a goddamn JML driver for the three count. What a beautiful move. What a fucking gorgeous move. Did you notice? Did you not? No, I rarely notice any of, like, let's... AEW doesn't necessarily reward you paying a ton of attention to the wrestling. I guess, but this move, I'd never no, seen Swerve's it. No, Swerve's fucking amazing. You're correct. There are fucking yeah. incredible wrestlers that they have. But yeah, you know, you just kind of have to peek in and out and go like, ooh, they're doing the part that's the good part. Well, this is the good part. I highly recommend if you have not noticed this one move, you look it up. I guess the original name for it is a Storm Cradle Driver. That's a sexy name. It is. It's a sexy name and it's a goddamn sexy move. I, you should... You should you should look into okay. it sometime. I'm not. I gonna... mean, I would watch Swerve do whatever because Swerve's very fucking good. He is. I, he he impressed me in this one. From there, we go to a package about Nyla Rose stealing the TBS championship from Jade. Uh, the TBS championship. Yes. What is this? Is this just their women's championship? Is this one of their women's championships? It's one of their. It's the uh, kind of I don't know mid card championship. Okay, and it's a you know what? It's a pretty basic wrestling story. Nyla stole the belt and. In wrestling, that is how you get a shot at the title. Possession is 10 tenths of the law in wrestling. (laughs) Like once you have someone's property, then, you know, whoever is your like commissioner figure has to come out and just shrug and be like, well, there's no way to know what happened. We have no object permanence (laughs) in wrestling. I mean, you've got it now. You say that it belongs to you. Look, let's let's fight about it. Did you catch Tony Schiavone's little shrug in the talking heads part of it where he's like, yeah, stole the belt to try and get in contention? Mm. Like, that's what I would have done. It's like, Tony, no, you wouldn't have. That was such fucking bullshit. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of Tony Schiavone, he is now in the ring to interview ROH TV champion Samoa Joe. Uh, We find that Joe turned on his ally Wardlow. Uh, The two of them apparently were some kind of a team called War Joe. The crowd is chanting Wardlow at Joe. And Joe, uh, first of all, threatens Tony by alluding to his interaction with some other colleague of his do you know what joe's talking about here nope i have no idea yeah uh it's 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 like a nice smooth threat i like joe's performance even though i don't know what he's talking about um all he's trying to convince me of is that he is a threat to tony shivani which is like i'm good on like the visual storytelling i really don't need a lot of like verbal (laughs) backup on this tony says that this turn was shocking and joe objects that um like is it shocking wardlow was saying he wants the championship i have the championship I am a dangerous man. He failed to reckon with that. Instead of sitting around and, you know, waiting to be a victim, I took the fight to him. Like, is it surprising that I would not just, you know, sit here and wait for him to come at me? Uh, And Tony says, no, when you put it that way, it's not shocking at all. 
which is, again, the cusp of self-awareness for Tony Schiavone. Uh, I, <laughs> one of these days, he's going to get it. Uh, Joe says that uh, unlike all you people out here in the audience, all you rotten people, he is not going to sit around and be a victim and he's going to save himself. I love that Joe makes that move because otherwise he is being too reasonable and would have a lot of difficulty being booed for being like, yeah, he said he was going to fight me, so I went ahead and fought him. <laughs> not like all you people. Boo. <laughs> he says that, uh, yeah, Wardlow uh, underestimated him. And so he paid the ultimate price, which seems hyperbole. Because uh, what did he do? Hit him in the back of the head or something? Yeah. I mean, he made him look stupid, which ugh, for Wardlow, uh, Wardlow's gimmick is paper thin paper thin it's very popular but goddamn is there nothing supporting it what's what's the gimmick um it's that he's tall mm -hmm. reasonably strong and he can do power bombs got it okay yeah his finisher is just that he does the same power bomb multiple times and they've taken to calling it the power bomb symphony and so each time he does a successive power bomb it is, you know, the second movement of the symphony, the third movement of the symphony. It's, yeah, Wardlow's, I, I wish he would go away, but everybody seems very interested in him. I cannot join them. There is no fanfic to be written with Wardlow. There is nothing there. Yeah. Anyway, Powerhouse Hobbs comes out, which, you know, the collision of these three men may indicate what someone sees in Wardlow because all of them have that like, not like a bodybuilder physique, like strongman competition physique. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like weird shaped guys, like big weird shaped guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is our big weird shaped guys match. We got them all together in one place. Oh, wrestling promoters love to do that shit. And you, I, I, I love watching weird shaped guys do weird feats of strength too. Like in strongman competitions where you have to like, they take the wheels off a car and then you have to like pull it scraping across the ground with your teeth or something. Or it's like, I don't know. I don't even know like what part of the body this uses. It's just like, like who knows what the fuck you could do. I don't, I don't know where all those muscles connect to. <laughs> anyway, Powerhouse Hobbs comes out uh, big and weird shaped as always and says he's been the one no, beating up Wardlow. No, low. Chris is underselling it. Powerhouse Hobbs is fucking hot and his sneer is the sexiest fucking thing. Powerhouse Hobbs is great. We love him in this household. He's a, th This man is a weird shape, but if we can't even find common ground on that, I don't know. We may just be coming <laughs> from totally different places. I find him to be a weird shaped man. That's all. It's not an insult. It's great. It's fine. He's a hot shaped man. Powerhouse Hobbs comes out. He says he's been the one beating up Wardlow for the past few weeks, so he should be the one to fight Samoa Joe now. Samoa Joe is up for it, but then Wardlow's music starts and everybody goes crazy. Uh, Hobbs and Joe both watch out for Wardlow, but he comes out of the crowd. He tackles Joe. Hobbs jumps him. The locker room empties to try to separate everyone. They kind of get people separated. They manage to usher Joe and Hobbs out of the ring, but Wardlow is left alone in the ring with the Dark Order, who have no interest in continuing to try to contain Wardlow by themselves. So they're just like, yeah, whatever, man, go for it. So he dives to the outside and knocks down everybody. A big dive spot. Then he goes back in the ring and takes his shirt off, uh, which I don't understand all the technology, but when you take your shirt off and you're alone in the ring, that your music plays. And he knows that too. So big <laughs> exit. And yeah, that's the segment. I do love Samoa Joe. Yep. 
Samoa Joe, uh, also big and weird shaped, but a different weird shape. Yeah, also hot shaped. I agree. Uh, Wardlow didn't make much of an impression on me. No, he's nothing. Yeah, but uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and uh, Samoa Joe, I'd be I'd be interested in seeing that fight. We go now to Britt Baker, who's cutting a promo on Soraya, uh, whom Next Wrestling fan listeners will know as Paige, uh, saying Soraya told her that she wasn't good enough. She's only been on TV three years. Uh, but Britt Baker says in three years, she's gained her confidence. She's become a face of the company. She's become a leader. She's become her own role model. Yeah, she took her opportunity because that's all she got. Uh, she she even fought during the COVID times. For for one whole year, she fought in, in an arena alone with nobody there. And everybody hated it. I, I mean, Soraya, you'll never have the experience of producing some of the most despised and boring wrestling of all time. I had fun during those times, but I was very high. Britt says she respects Soraya as a trailblazer, etc., for overcoming an injury, uh, but she will not have her accomplishments belittled. She is the heart, soul, and pulse of AEW, and if Soraya thinks she's above that, then she can get out of here. She she tries to like do like this is my house, but there's there's very little reaction to this promo. We do hear it, and like I don't know, but it doesn't go over huge. I want to revisit this later because we do hear from Soraya later, and uh, it mm-hmm. does not seem to match this narrative. Okay. We go now, though, to match number three, Top Flight and AR Fox. Fuck yeah. As a trio, Darius Martin, a uh, member of Top Flight, is just coming back after a long recovery uh, from injury. His second long recovery from injury. Please, dear God, let this poor boy get a few months of wrestling in. <laughs> uh, and they're going up against the current trio's champions, Death Triangle, uh, who are Pac, yeah. Penta, and Ray Phoenix, uh, accompanied by some guy. His jacket says, the hype man. I don't recognize him. Alex Abrahantes! No, he's he's so important, Chris. Okay, please tell Alex me all about him. the best. Okay, he is part of the Spanish announce team. Mm-hmm. And so was doing all of that. But then at a certain point, uh, Penta was in a feud with, I think, Cody Rhodes. It's like whenever it started. Because Penta doesn't speak a ton of English or certainly not like confidently enough to go like, oh, I absolutely cut a promo in English. And so Penta would like say super mean shit. And then... Alex Abrahantes would be like, Penta says <laughs> at whoever it was and like get to deliver the promo himself as mm. this person who never gets to do this shit. And then would get progressively like weirder outfits. Like for a while he was dressing like an evil cleric <laughs> and that was weird. And he had like a sensor that he would swing. I don't know. There was some weird shit that was happening. And yeah, he's great. I love him. He's always so excited. A lot of times one of the spots is, Penta, because he wears gloves, will pull off one of his gloves before he slaps the shit out of somebody. And he will be pulling off the glove and then he will like not look where he's tossing it, but he's tossing it to wherever Alex is. Alex, 60% of the time, will catch the glove. (laughs) And everybody is so happy for him when he catches it. And he's like, fuck yes, Alex, you deserve this. (laughs) It's adorable. I love him. All right. Thank you for that. that. That does sound good. I, I didn't notice him much here. I didn't notice any one thing in particular very much here, despite a lot of great stuff happening, because trios is just a lot. So pray for me as but I... very familiar to you from your Chikara watching Deheim. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Anyway, uh, we begin with Phoenix and Darius. Uh, they start with a knuckle lock, jocking, wrestling moves. 
I'm not going to talk at all about what these individual moves are. The important move is the one at the end where they gain respect for each other, have a stalemate, shake each other's hands, and both tag out. Penta, not wanting to fall into this trap, immediately disses Dante Martin, who gets the better of the exchange that follows and dumps Penta, then tags in AR Fox, and then Penta tags in Pack. More trash talk here. AR Fox does some flippy business. Pack gets a headlock, big back and forth that blows off with an enziguri, uh, and then Pack feeds to the corner, takes a running elbow, and gets rolled into a cutter from AR Fox. Uh, I think that a lot of this is showing off AR Fox, who I understand to be like near his sort of hometown. Um, And he's debuting on the show. He has been signed, but he is also, he was really great on Lucha Underground, Mm -hmm. um, which is where Penta and Phoenix uh, would probably be most known from if you're not, unless you watch like AAA or something like that. But um, yeah, he's, he's real fucking good. Pac rolls out and Air Fox moonsaults off the ring post. Pack goes back in. Uh, we get a top rope sent on from AR Fox onto Pack. Penta runs in to interfere. Uh, then it's everybody in the ring at once. Pack tosses Fox into the corner and tags in Penta. This is where we get the spot where Penta like hushes the crowd and hits a big mm-hmm. loud chop. I love that spot. Phoenix is tagged in, uh, holds Fox's leg up, and Penta does a diving drop kick to the leg. Uh, yeah, the taint thing. Yeah, uh, they, there was some mention of this on commentary. I, it's always hard to tell where those moves are supposed to hit exactly, but... Uh, we all know it's the taint. We just... <laughs> um, I was just, I'm sorry, I was taken back to my thing about like working the brain earlier, and I was like, how do you, how do you work the taint? But then I realized it's atomic drop every time. Atomic drop after atomic drop, because people sell the atomic drop for a long time if they're good at it. And the, there's something very special about selling an atomic drop, that like uncomfortable feeling and grabbing somebody out of that to do another move is always delicious. It's like never does a wrestler look like they don't want to be touched as much as when they're selling an atomic drop. And so hitting up with another <laughs> one is just beautiful. <laughs> Definitely any wrestlers listening out there, work the taint. Your next match, send us a tape. <laughs> anyway. Taz talks about somebody getting their areola chopped off, and that completely distracts <laughs> me from my notes. <laughs> uh, when my brain reactivates, uh, Pac is tagging in Penta, who kicks AR Fox's arm, then kicks the leg out of his leg. There's a big spot here that's going to require, it's a little involved, top flight in the ring with Pac. Darius has Dante in a rear waist lock from hitting a double team move on Pac, so he like picked up um, Dante, so Dante can kick Pack or whatever. So he's still got him in the rear waist lock. Phoenix makes a blind tag to Pack, who's up against the ropes. Phoenix runs behind and grabs a rear waist lock on Darius, but then Dante uh. leapfrogs backward over Darius and Phoenix and gets a half Nelson on Phoenix so that when Pac goes to super kick Darius, Darius can dodge out of the way and Pack will hit Phoenix, but Pack sees what's about to happen and pulls back in mid kick. Then there's a moment of confusion as Phoenix elbows out of the waist lock. But Dante grabs it again, then Darius gets a headlock on Pac, then kicks off a Phoenix who's being held by Dante to hit a Tornado DDT on Pac, after which Dante plants Phoenix with a move that I have no idea what to call, and I was so exhausted after writing this description that I was like, fuck it, what, whatever, they're on the ground, it's fine. <laughs> You're learning so much about what it takes to write the breakdown. <laughs> uh Dante takes out to AR Fox, and after a little more back and forth, everybody ends up on the outside where AR Fox can hit them with a top rope springboard shooting star senton that I'm sure has a shorter and cooler name than that in real life. 
He hits them all, then he tosses in Phoenix, then hits with a 450, uh, but when he covers, Pack makes the save. Top flight, clear out Pack and Penta. AR Fox whips Phoenix and gets a heel kick on the way back. Then Penta tags in and hits the fear factor with Phoenix. Phoenix dives onto top flight, then Pack hits the black arrow for the three count. Megan Bob, you are a hero for doing this every time for Next Wrestling Fan. From now on, I will not judge you as harshly when <laughs> no wrestling moves are mentioned in your breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, before you were like, oh, I can't believe that Megan Bob phoning it in. Well, yeah, you're you really are learning. I I see that you went no. I will do this as God intended. <laughs> Boy, is that kicking you in the balls. It sure is. Anyway, Pat gets on Mike at this point and asks the crowd if they think Death Triangle are stupid. Of course, they've seen all the shit going around and they know that certain individuals are going to return at full gear. I don't care about this because I don't care about the elite, which is who it turns out to be. What I care about is when Pac says that if they think they can mosey into full gear and beat Death Triangle, that's ridiculous. Isn't that the best fucking thing? I, I, I fucking threw my head back and cackled both times <laughs> that I saw this. It is because you think like he's going to say something like, so he's like, oh, we're going to like rip your heads off mm-hmm. and like spit down your throats. And he's like, no, <laughs> just like, well, that's ridiculous. All right. Oh, fuck. fuck you, genius. Ridiculous. He's so good. The, I the, but it's perfect. Penta utters his Cero Miedo catchphrase. Then the big screen shows that yes, indeed, as everyone knew, the elite will be back to take on Death Triangle at full gear. Um Pac sees this, says, you know, finally it's all out in the open. He says, You may think you're coming for us, but we've been waiting for you, which is a real sexy thing to say, Pac. I know. I was like, God damn, that is Ah, oh, what a threat. I love it. <laughs> in a recap of last week, uh, we see that Lance Archer attacked Ricky Starks. In a taped response, Ricky says that he likes to attack people too, which I was hoping was going to lead to some other like, like, why are we doing this, Lance Archer? Like, are we finding excuses to spend time together by throwing each other into shit? Maybe we should like be honest about what this is. But no, he says, I like to attack people too. Therefore, I'm going to attack you next week when we're scheduled to fight. I'm going to fight you. Only backstage, I'm going to find you and fight you because punches do double damage back behind the ramp, I guess. <laughs> Normally, the element of surprise is why you would attack someone backstage. But to announce that you plan to attack someone backstage at the very moment when you are scheduled to fight them in the ring, it's a weird threat. I don't know. Do you find it to be? No, I guess just because it's like, hey we're both super into this. Like, let's, let's just really enjoy it. Like, let's make this a whole thing. I mean, I know it's like, okay, let's not wait till we get into the bedroom to start fucking. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. You see where this is. I know exactly what this is. Now that you say it, I understand the subtext is exactly what I, the kind of thing I'd hoped it would be, which is like, um, yeah, you're like you love love jumping people. I love jumping people. Next week we're scheduled to fight because we're like professional fighters and that's what we do. But I tell you what, you better watch yourself because just maybe I'm gonna sneak up on you and jump yeah. you backstage. It's it's like coming in through the window and like yeah. pretending to like 
rar attack your spouse like that's the okay that, this is this is what we're gonna witness on rampage <laughs> rar attack your spouse <laughs> yeah exactly that's how ricky starks feels about it. although goddamn ricky starks is fun ricky starks is amazing i love him i have a lot of time for him anyway ricky starks says that uh he speaks in absolutes and he will absolutely beat lance archer at rampage and then we're on to match five a semifinal match in the tournament for the world championship. All ego Ethan Page comes out with Stokely Hathaway, uh, chides the crowd for not reacting enough, uh, and sort of generically says he's going to walk through Bandito uh, and then win at full gear to become the number one contender. Thoughts about Ethan Page, please, because I don't know him. Uh, he's fine. Like, he's he's decent in the ring, and he he's good at yelling. Sometimes he wears a fun shirt. All right. Then Bandito walks out. Uh, he is a black and yellow sparkly masked wrestler in a sombrero. Yeah. I like the look a lot. I don't know. It's one of those awkward situations where like all ego Ethan Page appears to be playing like the center of attention cocky heel. It's hard to do that and then immediately have, you know, a black and yellow sparkly masked man in a sombrero come out and like completely pull focus. But that's what happened for me. They lock up. <laughs> There's a headlock, an arm ringer, reversed, hammerlock, face lock, hammerlock. Lots and lots of locks of various descriptions. Arm ringer, arm ringer. Fancy arm ringer escape. <laughs> uh, this is very much, this looks like a wrestling practice. I don't mean that disparagingly, but like these are the moves you would do if it's like, hey, psst, like somebody didn't show up to the show. Can you guys go out and lengthen your match by like 20 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of leapfrogs, a lot of that stuff. Finally, this exchange ends though uh, with Bandito hitting a Hurricane Rana. All throughout this, Bandito is doing gun hand motions. Mm. It almost as though he, like, because there's Cactus Jack where it's like celebratory bang bang. This is more like part of my arsenal is invisible guns. And I'm like, uh, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, whip you off the ropes, invisible guns. Hurricane Rana, Wait, invisible guns. I, I, I'm not going to fight you about this, but you have never done a chest bump. Have you done like unironic finger guns at somebody? I'm probably the answer is no, because I'm having trouble parsing the idea of unironic finger guns. What would that what would your face be doing? Would it be like, I mean, just I'm like, so cool. I'm giving you like, that. Yeah, yeah like, just even, like, this is even fun. this thing. Like, yeah, that's fun. That's that's not like I'm just giving you straight up cool guy like finger guns that it's oh, inherently ironic. Oh, you're imagining like the fawns. Yeah. OK. Yeah. OK. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, you're right. None of the rest of the fawns. Fair enough. I guess all. All finger guns are ironic finger guns unless you're Henry Winkler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you're doing them at your kid, is that ironic? Surely not. Uh, I think a lot of the stuff you do with kids is like, it's silly. I don't know. I, there's a level of irony, at least. It's, you know, with kids, it's dramatic irony. Uh, they don't get it. But like, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> this has been stay-at-home dad with an English degree. Moving on. Um <laughs> Uh, after an absolute barrage of invisible bullets, Bandito goes for a suplex. Page counters. Bandito counters with a huge, very impressive lifting suplex. Taz points out, that's very impressive, but it's also a dumb way to do a suplex. Good for you, Taz. I, I really do appreciate <laughs> when uh, when commentary points things like that out. Not in a way that belittles the the wrestler. And Taz is good at that, too. He He says that, and then he's like, but then again, I'm sitting here in commentary, and that guy's in a fight, so what do I know? Perfect. Taz is baller like that. Bandito grabs an armbar, but Paige whips him into the ropes, and Stokely Hathaway grabs Bandito's feet. Lots of classic heel work on this show. Uh, Paige distracts the ref, 
Meantime, no need. Like, didn't he watch the first match? You could you could be out there biting this man's eyes right now. Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody cares. Yeah. Thank you. The distraction is enough for Paige to take control. A waist lock is employed here. Pa- Did you notice this? Ethan Page uses a waist lock to just like wear down Bandito. They even put it over on commentary, which is so weird. <laughs> like, I don't know when is like because especially because Bandito like crawls for the ropes. Like we just saw Top Flight do this to each other, just like as part of a move, just casually. Like, let me grab you in a waist lock and like swing you over here, swing you over here. You're my brother and I love you. Rear waist lock. And then meanwhile, Ethan Page <laughs> is like, is just like gently cradling <laughs> Bandito. And Bandito's like, oh, I must escape. <laughs> um, much too much drama, but he does finally escape the waist lock, the dreaded waist lock. Ethan Page just gets up on the top rope to harass the crowd, then hits a backbreaker. <laughs> Page sets up the crucifix powerbomb on Bandito, which I understand that he calls like Ego's Edge or something like that. Yeah. But Bandito recovers, sends Page into the corner with a drop toe hold. Bandito kicks him, sweeps him, baseball slides him out of the ring. Bandito kicks Page from the apron, goes to the top of the ring post, and moonsaults off of the ring post onto Page. Bandito throws Page in, hits a corkscrew moonsault that he has some special name for, but I didn't catch it. Um, I don't know if you happen to know it. It's the big twisty moonsault. No. Starts with a C, I think. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'm beginning to understand the format of this show where one person has questions and then the other person has answers to those questions. But it's it's fine. It's all right. You're asking me about move names. (laughs) I I have that. You... You have no excuse. You've listened to the fucking show. Why on earth would you think I would know any move names? Anyway, whatever that thing is, Bandito hits it. It's very impressive. He goes for a suplex, but uh, Ethan Page holds the rope to counter. He hits a cutter, only gets a two from that. He sets up an avalanche ego's edge, but Bandito counters to a Rana. Bandito then hits a one-hand suplex. It's a weird thing they mentioned on commentary. Bandito's like a smaller guy, but he has like a very power wrestler style. A lot of like impressively um, strong moves. Then he goes up top for uh, a frog splash with Eddie Guerrero theatrics. The frog splash only gets two. Uh, Bandito goes back up for a moonsault, but Page knocks him down. Uh, Then he goes up himself, but Bandito follows. Page scoops Bandito, throws him down, then hits a flying shoulder tackle, follows up with an ego's edge for the three count. All ego, Ethan Page... Very much to me, like an opposite experience from what I had with Sammy Guevara. Very similar, like cocky heel, classic heel character. But I really bought it with Sammy Guevara and I really just don't with Ethan Page. Don't know why. Yeah, Ethan Page, well, he's Canadian, you see. Ah, of course. Add them to the list. I remember I'm in in Next Wrestling Fan Continuity, I hate the French. Uh, So go ahead and go ahead and throw the Canadians in there anyway. It's no, no, you I mean, you like the Canadians. That's why you don't buy it. Oh, is that all right? Look, you you figure this out later. You can put it in the show notes. uh, How I feel about Canada. (laughs) (laughs) We get a package for a match coming up at full gear between Jack Perry, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Once again, I have no context for what this fight is about. Uh, I know that Luchasaurus is now being managed by Christian, Christian Cage. Mm-hmm. I know Renee is here opining that this match needs to be in a steel cage to avoid all of the shenanigans that have been involved in their story and have a definitive winner. And I know that it ends with Jack Perry saying something like, one of us is a man and one of us is a beast, and we're going to find out which is which. I don't know. Is he trying to be, is this like child actor stuff? Is this like, I used to be a jungle boy, but now I'm a jungle man. Is he trying to be serious now? Um, I think so. 
I think he's been ready to like level up for a while. This this has been a you know starter Pokemon situation mm. for a good long time since the beginning of AEW. And he's been very popular. He's got a great fucking theme song. Everybody loves it. And he was like whenever Christian Cage showed up, he sort of took Jungle Boy under his wing and they were working together and it was all very sweet. And then finally, you know, like a year later, year and a half later, turns on Jungle Boy and uh, Luchasaurus had been like Jungle Boy's steadfast companion through like long before Christian Cage showed up. And then Christian Cage, like, got Luchasaurus to turn on him. And so that's been a whole thing. And uh, I think there's a couple of matches whenever Jungle Boy was either supposed to fight Christian Cage or did fight Christian Cage and did not win. Um, And so now I guess they're doing this thing with Luchasaurus. But, uh, yeah, this is definitely his, like, no. Oh, there there was one time. (laughs) This was, like... Because you saw Jungle Boy's face. Like, you saw what he looks like. This fucking gorgeous-ass hair. This, you know, his Luke Perry face. All of that. And um, he got in the ring at one point a couple of months back and called Christian Cage a pussy. (laughs) And everybody went, what? I didn't know he knew that word. (laughs) Like, the crowd fucking, like, bristled with sort of, like, he just, like, it's, this boy is, like, he does have a bunch of chest hair, but everybody's like, oh, oh my God, he has chest hair now. (laughs) It was very odd. But, um, yeah, he did get in trouble for saying it, obviously. But it was such a, like, oh, my God, he's he's not a boy anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, this is where we are. After that, we go to a backstage interview with Soraya, um, who does not appear to me to have the same sense of the story that she is in that Britt Baker does. Because Soraya says, you know, because Renee asks, like, how are you feeling after all this time away from the ring? Soraya says she's feeling great, but she's sick of this back and forth. She chose to be here. She wants to be an AEW. She wants to take on the best, and that's Britt Baker. So she'll see her in the ring. Can you explain to me, like, is this is this a thing that's supposed to be happening? Because because Baker's promo was like this whole long thing about how like Soraya doesn't respect me, and she's barged in here, and she thinks she's above this. It's weird to have it blocked in this way, where you say something about a wrestler, and then the wrestler comes out and is like, actually, that's not the situation. <laughs> um, it's kind of accurate in as much as Soraya showed up and was like this is my house and then Britt Baker was like fuck you you're nothing because Britt Baker was the most over thing for a good while and then whenever Soraya kind of responded to Britt Baker's thing uh, it was very impassioned it was like I've been doing this since I was 13 goddamn years old shut your fucking whore mouth mm-hmm. and then Britt baker now backstage does this kind of like you know i do respect you i don't i don't think you're nothing and so i think soraya is just at a point of going like i'm over this <laughs> i'll see you in the fucking <laughs> ring goodbye it's just it's weird i coming into it fresh if i if i came into this i would be in the weird position which i don't know that wrestling has ever put me in before where i'm like it seems like maybe this is a misunderstanding. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Britt Baker has 
off and on had a real persecution complex. Okay. If I knew that about the character, maybe that would help. Yeah. And like for a while was convinced that one of the refs was like part of a conspiracy against her. And um, that didn't stick around, but like she brought it back recently and is very like a key part of her character is that she 100% buys her own bullshit and also kind of misunderstands what everyone else is is experiencing Hmm. and is like, I know you all love me and like you're like you are jealous of my success and is like, no, we hate you because you're mean. (laughs) It's very interesting. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that does that does seem interesting. After the interview with Soraya, we get a promo for uh, Eddie Kingston versus Akiyama, uh, like this dream match. This this sold me on this match that's coming up but I know that Mm -hmm. it's coming up on Rampage. So Eddie Kingston is great. He does a great job putting over that this is like a match with this legend he wants to wrestle. I'll talk about it when it happens. Yeah, Eddie Kingston's super amazing. We love him. Have you looked into those eyes? They will burn your soul. There you go. Match number six, Anna Jay comes out to the Jericho Appreciation Society uh, entrance. Tony Storm comes out to a song I know that I know. What is this song? Is this Barracuda? What is this? It is... uh, legally distinct from barracuda oh okay how very wcw of them so they have a match anna yep. jay yeah ducks a clothesline celebrates this happens a couple of times finally tony storm gets a headlock they do some kicking around there's a monkey flip out of the corner uh on anna jay yeah anna jay is not the most compelling person to watch, I would say. No, no. She's doing a lot of like heel shenanigans, you know, like playing to the crowd, arguing with the ref. She does manage to uh, pull Tony Storm off of the ropes in the corner with a backstabber, then uses her knees to choke Tony Storm on the middle rope. Um, boot chokes her in the corner. A lot of choke, a lot of choke based offense, which is kind of sometimes a telltale sign. Have you ever seen uh, the the nails versus Big Boss Man match? No, you got to put that on your list. Know what those words mean? <laughs> Sometimes for for a watch party or something, you got to do nails versus boss man. Okay. Anyway, lots of chokes. Storm fights back with punches, but Anna J whips her into the corner and elbows her, forearms her, whips her, elbows her. If this were a video game, this is the point where like the screen would be warning you, like mix up your moves. The crowd is booing at you now. <laughs> Anna J argues with the ref. Uh, then she chokes Tony Storm. Uh, then she gets a rear chin lock. You know, in regular life, the person who resorts to violence first is the one who's run out of ideas. But in wrestling, specifically the rear chin lock, whoever resorts to that is the wrestler who is out of ideas. Dueling forearms get a very mild boo-yay reaction. Um, uh, the crowd cannot, they, they can't help themselves. They are wrestling fans. Storm hits a clothesline, then a fisherman suplex that is actually a suplex. Excalibur has to correct himself. This is his his own pedantry circles back on itself um, <laughs> because he's going to call it a fisherman buster because it doesn't end in a pinning predicament, but she does hold it. So it does end in a pinning predicament. Therefore, it is a fisherman suplex. Uh, so there's a there's a drama happening here in the commentary just between Excalibur uh, and himself. Tony Storm goes for a Texas cloverleaf, but Anna Jay gets to the ropes. So Storm hip attacks uh, Jay on the oh, ropes. Oh, yeah. Tony Schiavone calls this as Sweet Cheeks music. Uh, And they mention RJ City on commentary. They're going to have to give royalties to RJ City for this name. Always love to hear a mention of RJ City. Anyone who is not watching him in his underwear on YouTube. 
you're wasting your life. (laughs) (laughs) Anna J tosses Storm into the steps, uh, then hits a gory bomb, which is odd. She rolls Storm in, hits a kick, hits the gory bomb again for a two. Presumably, she's done two of these. They must be like a finisher or something for her. I don't know if you know. You don't. I'm looking at your face. Anna J is I. I just get through the matches where she's in them. Okay, it's fine. Otherwise, you would be all over this. <laughs> uh, Anna sets up a move. Looks like it's a kind of a sleeper setup. But Tony yeah. Storm counters with a throw, then drop kicks Anna into the corner, hits a hip attack in the corner. Then gets the Texas Cloverleaf and Anna taps immediately. Then business really picks up as Jamie Hayter comes out to her music to interrupt the post-match celebration. And there's some kind of a verbal conflict. We can't hear anyone actually say any words, but they talk to each other. There's a a mild shove. And then Jamie (laughs) Hayter leaves again. Well done, Jamie Hayter. I can't remember. Did we get to see Jamie Hayter's butt in this? I didn't notice it. Was she wearing normal pants? I, I don't know. Okay. Well, all right. They both have amazing butts. Like this match, th- this pay-per-view event <laughs> is like mostly, but have you seen these butts though? It's it's very important to me. Yeah. I'm 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 not a butt guy. I never I rarely notice wrestling butts. And yeah, no, these butts the stuff of dreams. They're talking about the fact that this upcoming match that Tony Storm is going to be in is going to be for the interim women's championship. Uh, that's the title that she holds. What does that mean? So Thunder Rosa won the title and uh, was injured. And Tony Storm ended up uh, being the one to take the title, but in an interim capacity. And so has been just defending it for a couple of months now as the interim champion because there's the assumption is that Thunder Rosa is going to be uh, well enough to come back. Oh, okay. Anyway, that was our last match. Our main event is uh, a main event promo between Moxley and MJF. It starts with Moxley coming out through the crowd with William Regal to his theme song, Wild Thing. Big extended walk to the crowd. When he finally gets the mic, Moxley says he is the best professional wrestler on planet Earth. The baddest son of a bitch in this game. He talks shit and backs it up. He's taken on all comers. He's defined the AEW championship. He loves to fight. He has mental problems, debilitating mental problems. The people on commentary should stop <laughs> acting like it's a good thing about his life. It's a bad thing. Um, you can't hurt him, he says, because he literally doesn't care. He then says that, uh, however, yeah, while he knows who he is, he doesn't know who MJF is. So he's done some research about who MJF is. Uh, he says he is a very good singer. He's had one win over the last six months. Moxley flubs his line here, so I didn't get the full, like, he didn't really sell it and I didn't understand it. He says that MJF took a break after some embarrassing Brian Pillman stuff. What does that mean? I don't quite remember what happened, but as I understand it, MJF kind of removed himself from the company for a good while. And it it was kind of positioned as like a, like sulking about like wanting more money, wanting more attention, like all this stuff. And the whenever MJF finally did come back, part of the comeback was playing a voicemail from Tony Khan saying like, look, this is my last offer I'm going to give you. We're going to pay you whatever this much. 
if you're going to like come back and because because we need you like you're that important to us. It's not totally clear what the deal is, but there I mean, in our household anyway, hope springs eternal that somehow WWE will poach him and he will be gone from our lives. Okay. Um, Moxley says uh, MJF came back, won a poker chip, and now he's got a shot. So presumably this is like a money in the bank type of situation. Where you... Yes, bingo. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, it's like, yes, it's a money in the bank situation. I don't know if you've ever, if there's ever been a money in the bank where a third party wins the thing for you and then hands it to you and then like, great, like you're our best hope. Go forth, kick ass. Hmm. Surely that's happened. So he didn't win a thing. He didn't win a match for this. It no. just, who gave it to no. him? Um, Stokely Hathaway and like the firm. Oh, okay. Did, which is why they're so pissed at him and why, uh, Morrissey, not obviously not the Smith Morrissey, but you know, <laughs> was super mad at him because they were the ones that got him that money in the bank situation. And then he's like, no, I want to be a, kind of a good guy now. And they're like, what the fuck? You got this chip in the shadiest ass way, you motherfucker. <laughs> uh, Moxley says, guy wins a poker chip. Now he's got a shot. And uh, Moxley says, basically, he's not afraid. MJF is a man dripping in security, a man playing wrestler, a man living in fear that he won't live up to the hype. But basically, the angle is, Moxley's got to bring it out of MJF. He's got to like give him a chance to show him something. Show him why people think MJF is, is the future. Stokely Hathaway then walks to the ring, which distracts Moxley. Then the firm storms the ring to fight Moxley and Regal. MJF comes out, punches out some firm guys. Moxley's laying there, and then MJF does this promo where he tells Moxley uh, he didn't save him because he likes him. He saved him so that the, quote, Mark-ass fan club that Moxley has wouldn't make excuses for him. He's grown up now. He's a real man now, not not mm-hmm. the MJF of old. And this time, Moxley can do whatever he wants to him, beat him up, drop him on his head, make him bleed because MJF needs the belt more than anything. Whoever has the belt is the best wrestler in the world, and it is MJF's time, he says. There's a Kaiser Soze quote here, the one about the devil. MJF saying that he yeah. is the devil is like big, like 13-year-old's binder energy. <laughs> <laughs> well... At the casino ladder match, which is where this chip comes from, Mm -hmm. they got the chip down and like all this shit happened. And then sympathy for the devil hits. And this guy walks out in a mask and, you know, like they didn't know who it was. And then like they and they played a lot of it, which they should. They paid for it. Also, it's goddamn great. It's a banger. And he got it. And then he he teased like oh i'm gonna show you and then he's just like no fuck you does the the no no finger Mm -hmm. and then later on it we find out that it was mjf i think at the very end of that particular pay-per-view so he's been like really going yeah i'm a badass uh yeah he's very punchable mjf tries to do his catchphrase where he says his name is maxwell blah 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 but finally uh uh, john moxley is able to get to his feet uh, as the toughest SOB in wrestling, it took him <laughs> mere, a mere five or six minutes to stand up after being knocked <laughs> down. He grabs the mic uh, and tells MJF, you know, I never saw what the big deal was about you, but I'm going to I'm going to reach into you and pull it out of you and the training wheels will come off. William Regal looms in the shot doing nothing. And then Moxley leaves with Regal. And that's it. That's the show. 
you. Thank you for that breakdown. You were very brave to do it. All right, Chris, what did you think of this? Your very first, your your maiden voyage into AEW. Um, first of all, the fact that you keep making these virginity allusions makes me feel uh, very exposed here on the podcast. I feel like I'm being preyed <laughs> upon on mic. <laughs> Yeah, we're seducing you into this lifestyle, yeah. Oh, I, no, I know how this goes. This Next episode, this is going to be somebody else who's never seen AEW before. I'm going to be left by the wayside. You you clearly have a type. No, I, I thought it was I thought it was good. It, it wasn't, um, it didn't immediately like blow me away with anything. I thought that overall the quality of the in-ring stuff was quite good. Mm-hmm. I, I liked the style of wrestling in the sense that all this stuff that's so hard to cover in the breakdown, all the kind of back and forth, all the counter wrestling, the stuff that moved at a pretty fast pace, it made the show very watchable. Um, I did watch this a couple of times, and it was a drastically different experience taking notes on it than from just sort of watching it. <laughs> yes. And uh, a lot of the talent here is really impressive, both people that I know and people that I hadn't seen before. It's a little bit early NXT-like in the sense that, like, these are all pretty much very basic wrestling stories. Mm-hmm. There, there doesn't seem to be anything really kind of high concept happening, at least that I saw in this episode. Um, it is, like, broken up tag team. You're a legend, but I'm going to fight you. I'm tough, and you're, like, the soft heel, and I don't think you can beat me. Um, all, all really, like, standard wrestling stuff, but, like, reasonably well executed with characters I believe in. So, yeah. and And some of these things, like... Having a trios title is great. I thought that the Death Triangle versus Top Flight and Air Fox match was really good. And it's great to be able, it's great to see Claudio, like, let loose to do something. I feel like this is an ideal environment for somebody like him. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that, let us get into the sights, sounds, and feels of uh, AEW. All right, Chris, what did your elf eyes see? I was in a WCW frame of mind watching this, and so what caught my eye was the huge amount of pyro. Mm -hmm. It's so much pyro. I'm so curious. What is gained, really? Like, does it help? And what's the intention of it? Because, like, it's it's fun to watch, but... And also just, like, a thing is happening. Like, the show is starting. We're back from commercial. (laughs) Like, fireworks (laughs) everywhere. That seemed, like, reminiscent of the old days to me. How about for you? Uh, Daddy was wearing his nice shoes. This is a game that we play mm-hmm. because William Regal will come out, you know, usually accompanying people. Sometimes we go to commentary, sometimes we go do something else. Who knows? And sometimes he has his sensible gray, like orthopedic shoes, and sometimes he has his nice, his nice leather shoes. And this just happened to be a night where he's wearing his nice leather shoes. I just always notice it. I'm always curious. I'm like, oh, is he dressed for comfort or for sexiness? <laughs> and this was a sexiness night, not a comfort night. All right. Well, maybe word got out that we were planning to podcast about this episode. Oh, I, I find both very sexy. Like, <laughs> I am in no way turned off by his like gray, sensible orthopedic shoes. I'm like, ooh, ooh, peep them. Delicious. <laughs> All right, Chris, what did your Vulcan ears hear? Well, I heard the acclaimed uh, music video, which I mm-hmm. took lots of notes about and didn't talk about at all. Some of these are fat jokes, right? 
uh, directed at Keith Lee. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Which is not cool. But they also did that whenever they did one about Eddie Kingston. I was pissed off then, too. Yeah. It seems like a lot of things in this show that people said about each other, like including um, like the way that Moxley talked about MJF. There seemed to be a lot of breaking the rule of like, don't kind of devalue your opponent. And I feel like that's mm. it, uh, because obviously, like, you know, don't be out there fat shaming people in any circumstances. But yeah, also like from a pro wrestling perspective, when you've got people on your roster who are like, they're a, a build that you could plausibly make a cheap fat joke about. But we also want people to be as impressed by them as they should be. I don't think you want an act out there running them down for that body type because whether or not people get into that joke is kind of beside the point it's like you're giving your viewer the impression that this is a flaw in this person this is a weak point that someone would pick out which you don't want it to be you want keith lee to be a big impressive guy mm. you you don't want people to see him as like yeah he's cool even though he's a fat guy yeah, which I I completely agree with and I don't care for it just because I I mean yeah, it is weird to watch it and you're like, "What? The, this is a this is not how I think about these people." But I feel like the way that they have treated Lee and Swerve up to now has meant that like they've always looked incredibly impressive mm-hmm. in the ring. And so, and they've never looked less than that. So it's in some ways made it that the acclaimed can get away with this without doing too much damage because we've seen Lee and Swerve just look unbelievably skilled. Yeah, yeah. And threatening. I mean, yeah, threatening is a big part of it. Since I'm on a WCW kick here, what it reminds me of is back when you were just seeing the transition, like before the junior style from Japan came over and started to influence American wrestling in a big way in like the main event, you'd sometimes have like the older, bigger guys insulting the smaller guys for their size routinely. And I think that did have a long standing effect on even viewers who are into watching the smaller guys wrestle implicitly understood that they were like under and mid card guys because they were small. They were never going to be main event. They were never going to be to be taken as seriously as somebody who was taller. It took a long time to shake that off. And I don't think there's ever been exactly that problem with size and wrestling. But at the same time, I don't know. It's pretty it's pretty rare to get somebody who's got like a more of like a big guy as opposed to a bodybuilder build as a champion, as like a marquee character, as opposed to like the monster. Like you're always going to have your like your Yokozunas and your Kamalas and all that stuff. Yeah. But even now. Keith Lee doesn't look like a guy who's going to be like WWE champion. Mm, but he should be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, I heard that. And, and and throughout the show, I heard some of those things where it was like, oh, these. I like that people are being allowed to go out there and do their jobs and it doesn't seem so scripted and so regimented. But mm. if like if somebody could give everybody a note just to like, tr- <laughs> like try to keep it focused on like we're two good wrestlers who are going to wrestle as opposed to like here's why you're garbage which is such a like such a bush league like e-fed move yeah there is some of that how about you what did your elf ears hear so nyla rose said in a promo to jade cargill you'll finally understand why the most violent storms are named after people Mm -hmm. are you familiar with this whole storms named after people thing as a go-to line no does this ring any bells for Mm -mm. you okay so i don't know how many years ago five years ago eight years ago tumblr was obsessed 
with this whole thing. Um, there was a poem that kind of went around that actually got combined with another poem. It's very Tumblr. But the actual poem is uh, titled Katrina by M.K. Wilde. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, but the final lines, and like, you'll see why Tumblr like was going, <gasps> we shall we shall call this and we shall use it for every fandom ever. Um, the I'll, I'll get to the part that's cut out, but Women like me will love you from a distance of a thousand syllables while laying in your bed. We will destroy you in the most beautiful way possible. And when we leave, you will finally understand why storms are named after people. (sighs) But normally, like, they wouldn't, because it was always, like, you know, slash pairing. So it was like, women, what the fuck do we have used for that in this writing? Mm -hmm. But the fact that Nyla Rose pulled that line was such, like, I was going, (gasps) you, you were also on Tumblr then, weren't you? (laughs) Like, I know you had to have been. Of course you were. But I was like, which fandom was it, Nyla? Was it Supernatural? You look like you were <laughs> Destiel, I can tell. <laughs> um, yeah, I just had a real, like, Spider-Man pointing at himself moment <laughs> of like, you had to have been on there. What was your fucking handle? Yeah, that was, it was a big moment of like, hmm? Yeah, I I always appreciate whenever I get to see those little like, oh, you were on, you were on the weird one too, huh? Mm. All right, Chris, what did your human heart feel? So I had positive feelings about some things on this show. And I probably had like some some negative feelings about, you know, things in like a, a, a serious but persnickety way, just like, you know, a move that I didn't care for, like a thing on commentary that I felt like, OK, guys, like, the, let, let's try to be serious here. Like, let's try to finish this. But if if I had to pick out like a moment, like a tableau, like well, how did I feel watching this? It would be that Jeff Jarrett promo. <laughs> just like I'm not often mad about how old someone is but like I saw Jeff Jarrett I saw Jeff Jarrett come out with his guitar and truly like everything in me was just like fucking still like, what is wrong with you <laughs> what I like I was bored of you when I was 15 goddamn years old what are you still doing here <laughs> and it's it's the <laughs> same thing it's like I don't have any idea how old Jeff Jarrett is now and you know what? Age is just a number. It's not that it's not about that. It's about the fact that somebody who had nothing for me back then, back in like the 90s, now comes out here and he's still just like still fucking slapping those nuts, still still the same <laughs> guy with the same guitar telling Sting like, oh, no, this time for real, it's over, Sting. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I. And Sting too. I feel kind of the same way about like not as not as much as Jeff Jarrett because how could you have as much as you would for Jeff Jarrett? I mean, There's limits. I think that there was a time when Sting's makeup was cool. That's not yeah. much for like a multi-decade career, but it's something. Jeff Jarrett, nothing flatline for me, and it's been going on for so long. And him versus Sting, it's just like. There's something there's something so wrong with this with this form of entertainment that this person is still here. I can't mm-hmm. imagine being like this sick of someone who's like a movie star and then being equally sick of them doing the same thing 25 years later. It uh yeah. No, that's that is the correct response to Jeff Jarrett's existence. So yeah, exasperation. That that that's what I felt. Uh, what about you? What did your human heart feel? How 
fucking much I love Death Triangle. I just love Death Triangle. The... I love the way they work together. It's unfortunate because they don't always get to be in a match against fellow flippy guys. Mm-hmm. Um, even though there there's enough flippy guys that that can happen, but there's not a ton that can work at their level. And so it's only whenever you get them up against something like Top Flight and AR Fox that you get to see them do their full range of shit. Mm-hmm. And it's so great. And I love them so much. And I love how much... Uh, especially Pac in particular is like, I'm evil and I love being evil. <laughs> Every day I get up and I look in the mirror and I'm like, ah, it's a good day to have this like lank, greasy hair. It's wonderful. No. And, and he's such a weird kind of heel. He's actually, they're not actually a heel faction. They're just sort of like, they, now they've done some shady shit, but like, not so much so that we're like, oh, no, they're definitely bad. It's just like, no, sometimes they just make bad choices. <laughs> sometimes they just they can't make good moral decisions. But I just love the kind of heel that he is. And then also getting to see because I'd forgotten about him in my but in my rewatch, having like Pack in the center and then Phoenix on one side and Penta on the other. And then Alex Abraham is like in the background kind of like. Yeah, me too, motherfucker. <laughs> like, I'm also here. Like, yeah, Alex, I'm so happy for you. No, I love them. And I love getting to see them do shit the best they can do shit. It was very impressive. I was really into that. All right. So just to check, have you, you have not watched the pay-per-view yet, correct? I have not. Okay. Uh, I would like you not to watch it until we've covered the next one. Okay. So Chris, I'm not going to give you any useful metrics for this which you've come to expect from my style how many fucks would you say that you give about watching the pay-per-view because it is three or four hours possibly probably four hours how many fucks do i get well let's let's look at the card all right jungle boy versus luchasaurus Mm, no fucks okay uh death triangle versus uh the elite fuck okay uh, Jade Cargill versus Nyla Rose. Mm, fuck. Okay, Chris Jericho versus Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, and Sammy Guevara. Fuck. Okay, Soraya, Britt Baker. Uh, no, no fucks. But I feel bad about it. Okay, Samojo Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs. Mm, fuck. Okay. Sting and Darby Allen versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. No fucks. <laughs> Negative fucks. It, it, it might end up that way. Yeah. Depending on where we where we land on the total fucks. Okay. Uh, Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm. No fucks. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I was I was given uh, I want to point out I was given no reason to give fucks. I, I the first time I heard about no, Jamie Hayter correct. is when she walked to the ring and then walked back. Sorry. I I thought maybe you I thought. I thought you just felt her butt. And like, even though you're not a butt person, we're just the sheer strength of it. You were like, oh, no. Now I <laughs> I retroactively am a butt person. And also <laughs> I'm into this. The Acclaimed versus Swerve in Our Glory. Um, I'm going to say half a fuck. I, I'm interested in seeing the team of Swerve and Keith Lee, but mm-hmm. they're a team. 
I'm going to see him in another context if I want to watch more AEW. And most AEW shows in a week are not four hours long. So half a fuck. Like I'll, if I'm watching the pay-per-view, that'll be a thing I'm interested in, but it wouldn't make me order. So yeah, half a fuck. So we're at, we're at four and a half fucks. Okay. And then MJF and John Moxley. Mm, no fucks. Okay. Well, my dude, you have to get through nine matches, I believe, on a mere, a scant four and a half fucks. Like, that's, that's a 0.5 fuck ratio. Uh, that is that is pretty rough. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for uh, saying yes to watching a lot of wrestling. Just a, a really staggering quantity <laughs> for the fact that you have not been watching in, in quite some time. So thank you for that. Uh, I really appreciate you spending what you now know to be an ungodly amount of time working on that fucking breakdown. I feel vindicated. I feel a certain amount of schadenfreude, but also really proud that you got through it. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I'm glad that my pain is pleasing to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks. And um, yeah, I think you did a really good job with um, with Miles' part of the show. I think you, you showed that he's he's doing a lot of work he doesn't need to be doing. It, you know, <laughs> I mean, really saying thank you for the breakdown is <laughs> the only structurally fundamental thing that Miles does on the show. <laughs> he's going to have a lot easier time of this when he comes back after seeing how you handled it. Okay. Um, yep, totally fair. Yep, I definitely did not give you answers about the moves you asked about. Fair cop. All right, come back next time whenever I still don't have answers about that. And we get to find out what Chris makes of the definite B show that is Rampage. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown, and this week edited by me, Chris Newton, with logo designed by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMoFo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook as The Next Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can follow Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The Next Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash nextwrestlingfan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. And I would know, I am one. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to email us at nextwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I'm inviting other podcasters over. I'm building pillow farts. I'm building pillow forts. Yeah, I mean pillow farts as well. Why the fuck not? He's not here. He's never going to know what I fucking get up to. No, Miles is gone. It's time to fill a pillow fort with our pillow farts together. (laughs) 